Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello! And welcome to the Africa edition of Slate Money, your guide to the business and finance news of the week. I'm Felix Salmon of Fusion. I am joined by Anna Shemansky, the world's most interesting emerging markets expert. <laughs> well, hello. Um, except for Yinka Adegoke. Welcome. Hi. Yinka, who are you and why are you here? <laughs> I'm asking myself the same question. <laughs> I'm the Africa editor of Quartz, um, QZ.com. And uh, yeah, we cover Africa business and finance. Do you economics. say Z or do you say Z? I, it depends on what country I'm in. So, so Yinka and I used to work together at Reuters a million years ago. And then I became, I sort of wound up wallowing in podcasting and you have you are now living on planes, basically flying around the world between various different African countries and your base in New York, which is not an obvious base. Yeah, I mean, we we looked at it and thought, you know, what's the best way to get this model to work? Because we have the office, uh, obviously, in New York, and we were trying to be as effective as possible in taking advantage of the internet and having an experienced journalist coordinating a team. And, and the funny thing about... Uh, Africa coverage is um, where we are right now in the world uh, and technology is you um, it's actually almost more difficult to run it out of say Lagos to cover other African countries um, 
It's probably a bit easier. We are, go- we are going to talk yes. about this. We're going to talk about connectivity in Africa. We're going to talk it's about... quite the segue. <laughs> we're going to talk about the whole range of investments that China is making yeah. in Africa. We are going to talk about the crazy political scandal in South Africa, which has managed to bring down a relatively large English PR firm and is now threatening to do serious reputational damage to even bigger companies. All of that is to come. But let's start with East versus West because I feel like a lot of slate money listeners know in their mind about North Africa, they have this idea of like this kind of the extension of the Middle East through along along the south coast of the Mediterranean. And they know a little bit about South Africa, the country, which is unique in a whole bunch of ways and then there's that large bit in the middle (laughs) and um and they kind of probably have this idea well you've got like nigeria on the west and kenya on the east but what these are economically and sort of culturally and just in the way that we're looking at the you look at the continent just like these kind of rival centers and very very different yeah, they're 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 extremely different. Um, you could say Nairobi's the the capital of East Africa for now. It's certainly the leading capital, um, and uh, Lagos is Africa's biggest city in terms of population and and just the sheer numbers of people there. And it, it's it's um, it's fascinating when you you watch how these cities evolve. I mean, I I lived in Lagos uh, in the eighties, and um, you know. A lot of the problems, because Lagos or Nigeria rather had a, an oil boom, you you know it, it's accelerated through many of the problems that other cities now have. I, I now see the same sort of problems uh, when I go to uh, you know Abidjan or or Nairobi or wherever it is. So um, so uh, so I mean Lagos is on nobody's list of top tourist destinations. Um, that's fair. But it is it is it is a top destination for people who are trying trying to do business, though. I'm, I'm sure to, there try, are many flights between Lagos and Houston, and I'm sure there's there used to be. There's no um, tourists on those flights. Um, Lagos was always famous in in my world for having the most profitable airline routes in yeah. the world, yeah. especially like, economy for British Airways, big business. But, uh, yeah, and those those seats are not cheap. Um, whereas Kenya does actually have a tourist, a pretty healthy tourism business, and you're going to find yes. a lot more expats there, even though it's a smaller city. Yeah, it's um, it's a smaller city, but they've done a really good job of developing infrastructure there. Um, they've coped with, and this is my point about the acceleration of the after the oil boom in Nigeria. The, they've uh, their growth has been more manageable or better managed. And they've uh, they've done things like uh, um, they've got fast internet there now. They have um, you know a fairly decent road network. They still have a lot of traffic in Nairobi, um, but uh, it's an easier city to uh, negotiate to to navigate uh, than than Lagos. Uh, Lagos is always about knowing the right people. I mean that's kind of everywhere, but more so uh, in Lagos and. Uh, the rewards, obviously, like anything in life, the 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 risks are higher. The rewards are also higher, you know. So, and I believe Nairobi is also known as being the capital of NGOs, yes, and lots of expats, as yes. opposed to Lagos, which is a much more kind of 
entrepreneurial, global yeah. focus. Um, and, and I think there's a bit of controversy in Nairobi because of that NGO presence and the fact that a lot of companies tend to employ other Westerners, tend yeah. not to employ Kenyans, tend to pay the Westerners more. Yeah, that's, there, there is a lot of tension with that. Um, that's been going on for a few years now, particularly, as you say, with the NGO sector, but then it kind of spreads into even the startup world um, because there's, it's, there's kind of the adjacent, you know, there's the social impact uh, kind of startups. So the same sort of culture sort of evolves in that as well, where, you know, people uh, employ the people they're familiar with and it's funded by, you know, foundations and grant money. And it creates this uh, culture where, um, yeah, Kenyans get left out of it sometimes. And I think also potentially you can have the problem where, where you have companies that are better at getting grants than they are running companies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. And, so, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I have this idea in my head that, you know, Nairobi has, is this kind of expat, Corn, expat filled corner where mm. people are you know where the sort of Africa as a country types hang hang out and and pat themselves on the back for being in Africa whereas Lagos is where the real sort of economic engine of the continent is yeah I think that I think that's fair I mean I don't I don't want to be I don't want to just completely dismiss the another, <laughs> the other 50 right. 60 70 you know significant cities um, but yes um you know, including Abuja. Yeah, well, <laughs> the thing, the thing, the thing about Lagos is, even if you're just serving Lagos, that's twenty million people, right? If you, if you're a consumer-facing business, if you could get it right, um, how you reach those twenty million people is a whole nother story. Because the the point I make about infrastructure weaknesses and the ability to uh, create any kind of uh, meaningful distribution. Uh, is extremely so let's tough. so let's talk about that because you know Kenya is a much much poorer country than Nigeria. It doesn't have oil. Do you mean, do you mean poorer or do you mean the the size of the economy because the smaller. size of the economy is smaller? Yeah, but it also ha but like it does seem to have come up to speed in terms of certainly information technology yes. much faster than Nigeria. Yes, and everyone pays for everything using their phones. Um, there's pretty good fast internet across the country. Like, how, yes. was that a kind of top-down decision by some enlightened government, or how did that happen? Some of this stuff happened accidentally, but you know, there, you know, the governments will. Um, I think going back to, um, I think it was President uh, Kibaki. They, 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 they did, um, you know, sort of have a plan to improved you know road networks and they actually implemented them you know the thing is lots of countries have plans <laughs> so it's not like it's just that they actually carried out some of them and, um, and so the difference is that if you have a plan in nigeria it just winds up getting mired in corruption and going nowhere but every so often plans in kenya will actually come to fruition i, th I think i think that's almost fair yeah i think that's almost fair but listen people make a lot of money in nigeria 
I'm sure. Right. They, they, and I, I don't just mean... And not just the, the oil. Yeah, not just the oil. I mean, the no, telecom people, sector. Yeah, and people make a lot of money. Because there's a, a real... International companies. Yeah, and there's a real question if you're looking at international investors. Mm. You're not looking at Kenya. You're looking at the place where there's real entrepreneurial activity. I'm not saying there's not entrepreneurial activity in Kenya, but if you're solely focused on social impact investing, and that's the only people who can really get funding, that is going to limit yes. your potential. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think that's fair. And then does the same kind of distinction hold true beyond just those two countries? Can you kind of lump Ghana in with Nigeria, lump Ethiopia in with Kenya? Um, no. I mean, Ethiopia has a completely different dynamic. Um, Ethiopia is, is I think, the, is definitely the fastest growing economy in Africa uh, this year and um, has, you know, grown in leaps and bounds in, in the last few years. But they they definitely are following more of the, the, the Chinese model, um, you know, much more top-down. Um, again, you don't, you, you see all these numbers, the macro numbers, they're, they're great for Ethiopia, but there's still uh, a lot of poverty. There's still... And all the divisions uh, and the... Yeah, yeah. and there's, there's the divisions with the, with the sort of people unhappy with the way the country is... Um, not just being run, but how, you know, there's a lot of calls for federalism and uh, all that stuff going on as well politically. But in terms of the economy, in terms of, uh, you know, you, I don't see in my travels, in my work, and I get a lot of information sent to me every day. I don't get a lot of emails about Ethiopian startups, as an example, right. you know, whereas, just, just whereas, to think about Whereas it. you do get a lot of emails about Kenyan startups. All the time. And Nigeria Rwandan started, startups. Uh, well, I think Rwanda, bit. actually Rwanda is a little bit closer to, to that kind of the Ethiopian uh, issue as well, where the country is really well run from the top. But uh, I've visited a few times and I don't, you know, I don't see a lot of local entrepreneurial uh, vigor. They talk about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I... I don't see it very often when I'm there. And that's actually uh, raises a question I'd, I'd like to ask in terms mm. of the reality versus the hype of the kind of innovation right. economy throughout mm. Africa. Right, because we do hear this a lot. Yeah, as do I. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like, I, I, you know, that's one of the reasons you yeah. have a job, right? They're yeah. like, oh, my God, Africa's this amazing yeah. innovation economy. We should cover this yeah. globally from quartz. Is, is that, how, how real is that? Um, I think Africa should be covered anyway. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> so that's that's my starting point. But but um, certainly when we at Quartz uh, thought about this, it, it really was let's try and cover the new ideas. And when we talked about innovation, we didn't just think about it as tech and startups. We really would think about new ideas because you know we we know all about the problems, and there are lots of smart people who've either studied in the United States or Europe or wherever you, or, or at home who are trying to fix these things. And there are lots of new ideas and some of those ideas will go both ways, you know. Um, so there's, there's a lot to talk about there in terms of innovation. There is innovation happening. There are some things that are, you know, as you say, Anna, that are overhyped and, you know, people make a bigger deal about it than, uh, than it is. But um, for the most part, what you have, if you really think about it is, when you don't have the long legacy of, uh, you know, big institutions and big companies and, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blank sheet of paper. So people are experimenting all the time. And that's always, that's really interesting and exciting. So you've been covering this for a while. What's, what's the most, like, overhyped idea and what's the 
idea which has actually gained the most traction since you've been like on this beat? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, overhyped ideas. Let me. Let me. I, I think the one that sometimes you know the one that is obvious, and it's not so much that it's gained the most traction, but sometimes you know almost gets overlooked. Even though people talk about it a lot, it's a pesa the mobile money because even though I, I think the thing that impresses me most with it, Mpesa is uh, for those who don't know, is uh, the mobile money system in Kenya, which is spread to Tanzania, Uganda, and a couple of other countries in East Africa. Um, and, you know, it's accounted for 40% of Kenya's GDP in, uh, um, well, not accounted for, but 40% of Kenya's GDP ran Runs over through, 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 through uh, and, and Pesa, Pesa. weirdly, is, is one of those top-down things, right? It was more or less invented by Safaricom, yeah. and everyone was like, yeah, we trust Safaricom, we'll give them our money, and then we'll use it we'll use that money that we have on our phones for cell service and mm. we'll use it for a million other things as well. And right. it becomes like the sort of de facto currency, the way you pay for things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and the big question with Impesa for many years was always like, can it expand beyond Kenya effectively? And does it need to have that monopoly status where, you know, it's the only game in town? Um, the only other country where I see you you know that level of mobile payments is China, oh, which is also a very kind of top pay, down place. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the 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 story with um, Mpesa is kind of an interesting one in in that it was almost one of those ones where the one of the problems in, that happens a lot in Africa, especially with technology, is you have an issue with regulators, and this was one of those ones where the central bank just kind of got out of the way and went, uh, you know, let's not worry about this. It's a small thing. And it just blew up. Yeah. It became this big thing. It kind of caught them off guard. I mean, because if they had, you know, done the usual thing, it would have got mired in... In, in, in KYC. In, that's, actually, that's actually interesting. That's yeah. part of the reason we actually haven't seen the real development in fintech in the United States is mm. because of the regulations around the banking system and why you have seen more of it yeah. throughout Africa, Chinese, and even in, in London. And, and I, I'm also interested in the... The ability of, because when we talk about M-Pesa, again, you're talking about something that's a bit more top-down. Yeah. If we're looking at smaller, really innovative companies, what happens with the issue of access to financing? Because you think of Silicon Valley companies that can kind of go for a while, not really making any money. They keep accessing financing. Is that really possible in Africa? That's that's a, that's like you've just hit on one of the biggest uh, debates uh in the whole sort of startup ecosystem, um, particularly in, in places like Lagos where they're real kind of entrepreneurs trying to do things. And it, it's, there's this small amounts of money and you give up all your company and you get a certain amount of money, get to a point, and then where do you get the next amount? Of money? Because here's the, here's the biggest problem. There are very few opportunities for exit. The market's not liquid enough to, for IPO, so that's not, that's not even a, that's not even on the, table at all um so everyone's hope is that they get bought and there's a limit to how many companies are going to buy you or the limit to how many companies are even interested in in thinking in this uh sort of forward thinking way so um it's an exciting space and people are trying new things and you know we we had a, a panel the other day at the office where we had a few african entrepreneurs in and they talked about um sorry vcs in and they talked about well 
you know, for us, we don't fund companies unless they actually have revenue and we feel that <laughs> they're close to make, you know, going to make profit at some points very soon. You know, as against uh, to what uh, Anna referred to there, where, you know, how long did Facebook and the rest of them go mm-hmm. on for, for years? Without, Uber's still uh, going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. after a fashion. Yeah. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Let's segue a little bit to the to the you know sixty pound gorilla in this um, in this entire continent, really, which is which is China, um, because for all that VCs are coming in with their million dollar checks, China is coming in with like hundreds of billions of dollars, mm-hmm. and I used to write about. Latin America for a living, and I saw how Ecuador became basically a sort of wholly owned subsidiary of China. I'm looking at Venezuela right now and the way that they are owing like enormous amounts of China, and China has a huge control over what happens there. Um, For all that there's a bunch of like bottom-up innovation going on in um, across the continent, are we? Is it ultimately? Is this ultimately going to be a China story, as it plays out over the next ten or twenty years? Yeah, I, I think the influence of China is almost understated. I mean, it, you know, there was a there was a bit of hype a couple of years ago, and it seemed like, oh yeah, and everyone saw it through the prism of neocolonialism, and and it was just that that was the the sort of way the story was framed. It's far more nuanced and far more interesting than that, and. Even I, I, I was guilty of thinking it was something was a part, something that will pass in a couple of years. But it's the the relationship between China and Africa is going deeper. Um, it's coming from the way I lay out is it's coming from uh, three different in three different ways. It's coming from the top, as we know. That's the that's what we see the macro uh, discussions. Uh, how much is China, the country, the government? Uh, lending to these other governments, how many of their buildings, you know, official buildings have been built, been given away as gifts <laughs> to uh, governments. Um, you have sort of mid-sized companies, Chinese mid-sized companies and local entrepreneurs coming together, work, you know, coming in and, and just straight up just doing business and doesn't necessarily involve government, just going there uh, entrepreneurially. And then, they're just then they're Chinese laborers, Chinese workers who sometimes come with the big companies and just end up staying, um, and just people who just want to just leave China and try their luck because they've heard, you know, there's this gold rush in Africa and um, and they come and try their luck and they're on the streets of name the city, you know, they like I read a story about Lesotho, Lesotho, where's you know Lesotho, and they they had protests there because the these local Chinese women were putting the local women out of business by selling uh, so textiles, you know? So this right. is that, at that low level, yeah. not yeah. just not just at the top, not just in the mid-sized, uh, mid-sized companies. It's, it's throughout the system. And as, and as you're saying, I mean, I think it's a, it's a complicated story because yeah. on the one hand, you have had a lot of Chinese investment into 
infrastructure, yeah. which has very much been needed. And also, again, what we were talking about, access to cheaper financing. Right. But then um, in exchange for that, they're also getting preferential trade deals. They're also getting yes. access to all of these infrastructure contracts. And they're also then the many African countries are now importing the cheap Chinese goods that are then affecting yeah. the manufacturing incomes of it's many kind of countries. There's a really interesting uh, uh, theory I was reading about this, um, reading about just the other day that sure, um, China or Chinese goods are flooding markets and distorting a ton of businesses, um, local businesses, but they're, they're also... They're also thinking about some of these companies are also thinking about ex offshoring manufacturing to some African countries. So mm-hmm. there's this weird thing going on where it's not it's not so clear where whether this will be a wash or whether you know it's. But there's it, there's clearly a huge that there are lots of ties. There's lots of trade in both yeah. directions. There's tr- trade not just in goods, but increasingly in services and increasingly in individuals. There, like as you say, there's. A rapidly growing Chinese population mm. in China. In, I mean, where would you say which African cities have the biggest Chinese population? I, I'm not sure which have the biggest, but they're pretty much in every country because it, it's not. They they really are in the smallest of countries to the biggest of countries. I I thought right. I thought I thought Lagos, Nigeria was like impenetrable to them, but. They're everywhere, Huawei, everybody, you know. So it's the big guys and the little I, guys. I saw all, one one stat where all, like Chinese infrastructure investment went up from like a billion dollars a year in 2000 to like 55 billion in 2015 and is not slowing down anytime soon. But one thing that though has been slowing down slightly is the Chinese economy, which again shows you this connection because many African economies also are extractive economies. And so they're very dependent on commodity prices. And as as China shifts to a less resource intensive economy, that's really slowing down economies throughout Africa both yes, because of just correct. like lower Chinese consumption yes. and commodity prices being lower. Yeah, that that's that's been uh, the story since uh, pretty much fourteen. Yeah, since the, you know commodity prices dropped off because Chinese demand uh, dropped. But so, but tell me, tell me about um, Anna's favorite subject, which is one belt, one road. Um, my friend Simon, I promised I would give him a, a, a all credit for this. He's like, Africa is basically just like three belt loops. <laughs> it's just, it, it, I mean, it's it's what is it? It's Kenya and Djibouti and Ethiopia. These little on the maritime road up oh, through the Suez Canal, and and it's one belt one road. Is this just it, it, unimaginably enormous project to tie? China into the world, basically, yes. through both land and sea. Africa's on the sea bit, basically. Is this going to sort of transform the coast of East Africa? Possibly. I mean, I think, I almost feel like that's going to happen anyway, but this is going to accelerate it if they really, you know, throw resources as I imagine they're going to. And this is... Interesting, though, because I mean, if you're talking about one belt, one road, yes, this is definitely an economic story of trying to try to export their excess capacity, mm-hmm. steel and such. But it's, it's also very much a political story in terms of China trying to export its influence and have gaining more political friends and control. So then Correct. when they go to the U.N., they then have a lot of other countries that are now going to vote with them because they've been investing there. And also because China's also promoting a different model that's opposed to or 
very different from the kind of liberal democratic model that also a lot of other countries are saying, oh, well, you know, this is this is another option. Is, is the Chinese, is the form of Chinese government, the kind of, you know, single party system overseeing a sort of very capitalist um, economy, um, that, you know, that seems to align itself more comfortably with somewhere like Rwanda than the sort of liberal yes. democracies that yes. we're used to here in the yeah. US. Yeah, and and Tanzania, um, which doesn't is often not talked about in this in this this context, but their uh president who came in twenty fifteen, um, John Magafuli is definitely going down that road. Um you know, uh, Ethiopia. Um, so, is the is the influence of China on Africa bad for what you might call the, the spread of liberal democracy? Is is there any hope for liberal democracy in Africa? We're going to talk about this more in the South African context, but like as far as the rest of the continent is concerned, I feel like I've had twenty years of hope that you know things are going to change and corruption is going to go away and it never right. seems to happen. Right. I think, I think the thinking now I mean, is, is, is fascinating because I think what China and anybody else's um, their influence and, uh, on the thinking is, hang on, you know, sure, we want to do this democracy thing, but we want to make our countries better as well. And, you know, if it means, because everyone's looking at Rwanda and they get there and they see the clean streets and the, Everything's kind of working well, and it looks. And if great. the cost of that is locking yeah, like, up a yeah. bunch of opposition <laughs> politicians, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> freedom of the press. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, but it's a serious point, right? Because there's serious poverty, there's serious problems. So, if you can actually, because that's the the, the one thing. Everyone, we talk about corruption like as much as anybody else. But I often say, um, I talk specifically about Nigeria. I always often say, well. My, is it just corruption? It just seems there's just a huge amount of incompetence. People just don't seem to know what they're doing. You know, even the corruption is like schoolboy. <laughs> so, it's like, you know, um, if you can actually get something that works um, and you could do it without... Rwanda, corruption uh, that works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that, uh, and do it without, um, I don't know, all the other negatives that come with it. I'm sure a lot of even Western countries will, will go, okay, you just get on with it. Well, that's so, what they did but, in Indonesia, right, under mm, Suharto, where mm. you had enormous economic growth and everything was enormously corrupt. And it kind of, you know, in, well, the, in, in terms of works. Yeah, it works to a point. I mean, I think yeah. that's the problem is yeah. that you, corruption, we'll get into this when we start to talk about South Africa, but has a real cost and it tends yeah. to trap countries in that kind of low to maybe mid-income trap. And you really can't get beyond that because you don't get a lot of international investment. It and you really, don't have civil society exactly it's inefficient allocation of capital there are a lot of lots of reasons but like i said this is just people now rethinking about thinking about this i don't know but i I guess i guess but the the question is in terms of china um would it be fair to say that that the influence of china on africa is going to make Africa richer, but also less democratic. Oh, so tough to say. It's very possible. I, I think. I think it's possible, but it's it. It's really is always going to be on a country by country basis. You, you're never. It's such a difficult thing to just make that broad. 
What's uh, what's the what's the I mean, bright, it's, it's, shining beacon but, hope of democracy but, in Africa uh, right now? I'll, I'll put, put it this way, you know, just because China is favorable isn't going to make Nigeria, as an example, the, the largest country on the continent, suddenly go, okay, yeah, I'm not going to uh, have you know proper dem- democratic uh, elections next time because the, there'll be war, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. not. It's not quite that that easy. Now, with the smaller countries where one person's been running for a while and maybe they're competent, maybe they, that would be maybe that could work. But I just think some of those other countries where there's so many different ethnic groups, different people with different uh, vested interests, I just I think uh, democracy is there one way other than military rule that uh, can keep things sort of. On, on a scale of one to ten, how democratic would you say that Nigeria is? Uh, I'd, I'd say about six. Yeah, but I, w- I wouldn't go the full. T- <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go much higher than that. And again, like it's just almost as a way to prevent chaos mm-hmm. in in a way, right? So it's not. Even though there are lots of people who probably do would rather they could do things uh, without. Um, following proper democratic rule, they will because the price is too high. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. So let me ask you the same question about South Africa. We'll, we'll segue over there on a scale of 1 to 10. How democratic is South Africa? Actually, I, I think South Africa is surprisingly democratic. I mean, I look at some of the... If, we, if we're talking about the crisis that's going on there right now, a lot of it is because they actually have proper rules and regulations and they actually follow them to some extent. The fact that an individual president doesn't follow them is another thing. But. I completely agree. I think this is actually very similar to what we're seeing in Brazil. People yeah. t- point to the corruption. They say, oh, this means the country's not democratic. Like, no, no, no. If this actually, was undemocratic, you would not be seeing these protests. Exactly. <laughs> yes. exactly. No, it's amazing. I mean, the... the, the um, the anti-corruption person, yeah. I've forgotten her job title, uh, Mandusella. She she stood up to Zuma and exposed all the all the corruption that was going on. Did a long report on, on state capture, and you know you don't see that in a country that's not democratic. In or at least I, I agree. I think I think South Africa is democratic. I think that's one of the reasons why they are calling in expensive British PR companies mm-hmm. to do election campaigns because they want to move public opinion and they mm-hmm. want to get people to vote for them. But yeah, how did that work out? Not too well. <laughs> Not too well. <laughs> so tell us, give us the, the TLDR on, on what happened there. Long story short, uh, there has been a, a family called the Guptas, uh, Indian immigrant family, as against long-term South African. Um, they moved there in the 90s, got close to Zuma in his early days um, in the ANC. And um, when he became president, their company, Oak Bay Capital, was given a whole bunch of favors. Um, 
end up at some point uh, a wedding of one of their kids was like on taxpayer <laughs> paid by taxpayer and was written off uh, as a business written, expense written off as a business expense by uh, KPMG yep. no. um, but um, yeah and uh, what had happened was that they ended up uh, just completely in control of the of the government at least in control of Zuma in some, in, in, in some way they uh, were effectively appointing ministers and uh, you know uh, when all this stuff came out they, you know they'd they'd invite uh, a potential would be minister to their offices and say well you know what do you want do you want to be minister of finance or <laughs> you know and, and we're literally offering uh, like yeah, suitcases of cash, cash yeah, yeah. it's it kind of crazy um and what that is, uh, and that was all bad enough. And that was all terrible. Uh, and that was straight up uh, corruption. But then to you, your point about uh, uh, PR companies, Bell Pottinger, they, as the situation got uh, more difficult, they called in a PR firm, Bell Pottinger from London, to help distract people. And the, and the way they went about this was to put out this whole concept of uh, the, the um, white monopoly, monopoly capitalism. capitalism, white monopoly capitalism, which you know, in a country where you know the black unemployment rate is um, for young South Africans um, is around forty percent, um, where on the uh, I can't remember what the, the huge amount of the wealth of the country is concentrated in, with about eight percent of the population, white population. Um, this is a very sensitive thing. People are extremely sensitive about this. And, and so, th- just to be clear, what what exactly happened? The, the Zuma government started brandishing the opposition as instruments of white monopoly capital, right. so, and basically turning yes. politics into this right. Kind of Gupta, race war. the Gupta family is essentially trying yeah. to argue that what the people who criticized them for state cr- capture were really just these one white monopoly yes, capitalists. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So basic, basically Z- Zuma is to whites what Trump is to Mexicans. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, you know, this is, this is what's one of the things that's been interesting about watching Trump is like so many of the sort of, so many of the tropes are like very African, like the, the these populist things. Cause whether the whether it's very whether uh, a president is um, very de- democratic or just you know in charge, they all play the populist game. They all play to the lowest common denominator all the time. So, yeah, which is what uh, our guy here does. But yeah, you're seeing you're gonna you see this this has been um, led to Bell Pottinger being exposed and uh, and everyone. Turned on them. They got they got kicked out of whatever sort of PR union union (laughs) shop, and then all of their clients left them, and they um, they no longer exist. And now the scandal is expanding a bit. It's now what KPMG, McKinsey, Mm -hmm. how are they involved? Yes, I mean KPMG both signed off. allowing them to, as we said, write off like yes. weddings as business expenses, also signed off on reports that were used to actually oust yes. anti-Gupta yeah. ministers, which is actually almost the more significant yes, issue. Yes, that's the more significant. 
Yeah, the McKinsey issue is a little complicated. It has to do with this Gupta-connected company, Trillion, who apparently was using their access to state-owned companies to get contracts. And then it, it appears that McKinsey was maybe using them as a subcontractor and getting paid for work that was never actually done. So it, it's it's a big deal. I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that not only could significantly hurt the reputation of McKinsey and KPMG, but also really affect international investment and activity in South Africa, which I think is another issue that isn't talked about isn't enough. But the thing I find most, but the fascinating thing is it will affect everyone yeah. except Zuma. <laughs> He'll still be president. That's the, that's the fascinating thing about South Africa. So, so unlike, unlike Brazil, he's safe. Uh, he's safe. Right, because even when the ANC had uh, the... And, and anyway, he's, go, he's, going, he's, he's going out 2019 anyway. He's... he's and the only thing he needs to take care of is to see if his ex-wife can be pre- next president, so that they don't come after. Well, him. she's supposed to be a better figure than him, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, but the one, but the price she pays, she has to pay, or the deal right. she has to make, the devil's deal, whatever you call it, is that yeah, you're not going to come after me, are you? Okay, then as the as the mother of my children or whatever that's yeah. supposed to be. But no, I mean, and I think that part of the reason I, I'm wondering, I mean, to me, it seems like there's been so much popular opposition now to these recent scandals with these hashtag campaigns of like KPMG must fall and McKinsey must, fall, you know, and really popular opposition. And I'm wondering if it's it's just about, you know, the Gupta family or whether it's just a larger anger about what's going on and what's happened with the ANC and like what we saw in the last elections where mm. the ANC did as poorly as they've ever done. Yeah. And because, again, this is what we go back to talking about before. Corruption has a cost. And, you know, South Africa would probably be struggling regardless because, again, with commodity prices being down, mm. that's going to hurt them. But their economy is also really hurting by the fact that now it's, you know, their their debt was downgraded to junk. It's more expensive for them to borrow. That means it's more expensive for private companies to borrow. That means that you don't have as many, you know, private enterprises coming in. And this affects the average person. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of frustration in South Africa. I, I, it's a country I find fascinating uh, whenever I visit um, everything in South Africa, for me as an outsider, is like through a prism of race. It's, it's, you know, people are really sensitive about it, and which is why this this white monopoly cap- capture thing was so uh, capitalist thing was so um, you know insensitive. Um, but you know, you have a whole generation of what they call the born freeze or free borns. I can't remember what the expression is. People born after nineteen ninety four who were just growing up and thinking I, I don't understand I don't understand why why I'm living in a shack I, I, I don't why are we still living in shacks what, what's going on particularly people in the cities uh, you know um, in the townships there's a lot of um, you know and you can see that with the xenophobic attacks on other Africans because other Africans come South Africa and they go oh my god you, your electricity works and the roads are everything's great you know I'm just set up a business then and you know and they you know, it's just frustrating to uh, the majority of um, South Africans. So basically, the Brits can come in, the Nigerians can come in, the Kenyans can come in, the Chinese can come in, the Indians can come in, yes. and they all come in and make lots of money. And the people who were suffering under apartheid mm-hmm. and had no money at all are still getting exactly. nowhere. Exactly right. And that, you know, and it's not, I mean, as with any of these things, it's never that simple, but that's pretty much the sum of it, though. And um, and the ANC, for all its 
you know, rhetoric. its founding mythos mm, has, mm. has failed to really solve this problem. Yeah, nothing has really changed that significantly for the majority of people. Yeah, listen, there is a there is a black middle class, but it's it's relatively tiny and um you know the, uh, Anna referred refer to all the hashtags the fees must fall um with right. the uni- universities was about that it was like how do we even get into these universities because South Africa is, has uh three or four of the few universities on the continent that has proper you know a proper you know almost world class universities in the sense that they have proper r and d and research and file papers and all that kind of <laughs> all kind of normal stuff um and but they're not cheap for children of poor people you know so there's a there's a whole there's just a lot of resentment it, it feels like um whenever i you know visit or cover the stories read about it you know so in terms of inequality which is seemingly i mean the the inequality problems in south africa are clearly exacerbated by the racial history of the country um but the racial inequality aside is the economic inequality worse in south africa than it is in most of the rest of the continent i think it's yeah that's a that's a great question i've never looked at the numbers um but i think you know, we're we're all humans. We know how this works. Yeah. If you can, see, when it's when it's when, when it's, it's so visible, vis- visible yeah, yeah. So exactly. Visible, that's what people react to more. So, but but you're right. And I, I'm again. I will make a reference to the country I know well, Nigeria. There is a lot of inequality mm-hmm. in Nigeria, a lot. And but I guess everyone thinks they have a chance. That's the thing about you know Nigeria is a bit like America in that sense. <laughs> everyone thinks I could be me. I mean, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually had a lottery campaign without that tagline. I could be you. Um, so I think with South Africa specifically, I, I, I think, you know, it, it probably doesn't look like it could be you. Yeah, and this goes back to the problem of corruption again, <laughs> yeah, like we were yeah. talking about, because the problem is when you have these very corrupt governments, you don't have competition. Mm. You you have so much bureaucracy. The only way you can start a business is by aligning yourself with the government. Yes. It then keep you don't create businesses and, you know, the economy really suffers. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance— Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. On which uplifting note, I think we should just like move off <laughs> the the continent and start doing a numbers round because I feel I know. Come on, okay, I'm just gonna come back to Yinka and say, listen, we can't end there. We need to end on a on a high note. Give me give me a data point. You can have a number separately, but just give me a story. Give me a short little something to get excited about. Something why you know. 
a reason to believe in all of the innovation. Africa is the country of the future, you know, hype that we've been hearing for <laughs> so long. It is a country, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> they always have that joke about Brazil. It's the country of the future and always will be. <laughs> I haven't got a number, but um, I am. I do feel that uh, smartphone penetration, as simple as that might sound, um, is, is only just taken off. And that's really, you know, that's really going to have an impact on everything from remittances, ease of remittances to uh, payments to um, access to information. Because that's kind of one of those things that you might underestimate, which is like people are just not aware of a lot of things around them. And the minute they get yeah. their first iPhone yeah. or well, well, it's not an iPhone. Chinese, a Chinese-made uh, iPhone. Some some kind of Chinese-made <laughs> Android device. It like that yeah, changes. Yeah, I, I and it's. I, I'm just speaking on a really basic level because I don't want to. I I have no insight into like an individual startup or what have you. I just feel that as more people, when I look at those numbers, and I wish I'd written one down now, but uh, the speed with which people are beginning to take up uh, smartphone devices as the devices get cheaper. Which is why I made the, the joke right. about the Chinese made because because yeah, no you can the, you can the, get the, a very yeah, good yeah. Android phone for yeah. what like twenty bucks now yeah yeah so um, and you know Africa is very young right this is the one thing that all demographically these demographically looking, yeah all these countries have in common is they're all very young so um, young people tend to figure out ways of using things and doing positive things. We tend to, we tend to see the negative ones, right? And then the but other thing which we, we have to mention either. as well, which everyone always underestimates is the, the development indicators, things like, you know, how many years of education do girls get? How, what's the life expectancy at birth? Um, you know, anything you want to look in sort of health and education, access to clean water, literacy. All of that is positive. It's all, is all looking really, mm-hmm. really, really positive. Um, something like, what is it, 90% of the continent get is, is now vaccinated against all right. major diseases, which is probably better than the USA at this point. <laughs> and Especially, yeah. especially better than some counties Calif- in California. California. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, there's yeah. like, you have, and you have this young... yeah population which is going to and it, it ties into my my number actually but yeah so what is your number let's, let's uh, my, my number is uh, 68 million and um 68 million is the um the projected population of niger republic uh which is north of uh, nigeria and it was it was a number that i i had uh, an interview with um the former nigerian president uh Basanjo some weeks ago during the un uh, General Assembly, and he um, he talked a lot about demographics and the demographic dividend challenge of Africa, um, and he, he highlighted Niger Republic uh, because he said he highlighted it because the, like just in 1960 the population of Niger was 3.4 million, you know, as I, as it's going to twenty times. Uh, uh, you know, so it's just kind of like astounding how quickly, and it actually ties in with a lot of the stuff you 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 mentioned there. All these improving uh, indicators are actually also have this kind of weird 
I don't call it a downside where the populations are getting out of control and they don't actually have the the resources to to feed all these people much less you know get jobs you know so um it's just a it's just a number that's been on my mind because i i, I feel it, it it's another challenge for many countries um the if you don't um you know manage populations or figure out ways to uh serve fast growing populations you're going to have a lot of and even that's, more problems yeah, that's, down the road. that's never yeah a bunch of unemployed young men especially yeah, just, it's never just, good yeah. it's yeah. i mean these guys are in, like, they're right next door to the you know the maghreb region yeah i mean you know, it's it's you're just going to bring us down, aren't you? <laughs> so no, see, no matter how my, hard I try, it's going to be like, oh, My great. number is really sad, too. <laughs> so. All right, what's your, what's your sad number? I actually have two numbers, but they're, they, they go together. Okay. Um, and I also kind of stole this from Marketplace. So my first number is 55,431, and my second is 25,000. So one of those numbers is the number of Starbucks in the entire world. The other one is the number of places you can buy a gun in the United States. So, <laughs> Ooh, I wonder which is the biggest. Yes. <laughs> so again, yes. there is yeah, there are depressing. far more places to buy a gun in the United States than there are actually Starbucks in the entire world. Can you buy a gun in New York City? I, 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 it's, it's very hard. Yeah. yeah, there there are gun shops, but unless you're like a cop, yeah, uh, good luck with that. Uh, um, my number is five million, which is a dollar amount. It's $5 million. Um, you might recall the fearless girl statue down down by the charging yes. bull in Wall yes, Street. Yes, yes, and yes. the fearless girl statue was an ad campaign basically by State Street, which is this big fund management company um, trying to talk about women's equality and how women With a are little girl. With a little girl. And uh, $5 million is how much money State Street has agreed to pay um, because it underpaid 300 women in just 2010 (laughs) and 2011, much less than the amount of money that they were um, paying the equivalent men. That's brilliant. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) We are just full of uplifting stats, aren't we? Thank you, thank you, State Street, for, for our, uh, you know, daily dose of financial irony. Um, with that, I think we're just going to bring this episode to a close. Next week, we will try and be more uplifting. But um, thank you to Yinka Adegoke for coming on to Slate Money. And, like, we can – it's good to have a little – international flavor on here once in a while this has been a lot of fun thank you very much uh thanks to dan schrader and remember guys that we have a live show on november 15th at the bell house in brooklyn go to slate.com slash live and we will be talking about everything food that's 7 30 p.m in brooklyn um buy tickets for that they will sell out pretty quickly also listen to Amicus, which is apparently how Americans pronounce amicus. <laughs> it's an amicus brief? <laughs> it's an amicus brief. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's an amicus brief and I've just been pronouncing it wrong all this time. Listen to amicus however you pronounce it at slate.com slash amicus. That's Dahlia Lithwick's show, which comes out every other Saturday um, 
about the law, the Supreme Court, and basically everything you need to know about American jurisprudence. With that, it falls me only to thank Dan Schrader and to thank you all for keeping the emails coming. It's Slate Money at Slate.com, and we will talk to you next week on Slate Money. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.